0: reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is an honor to be part of this team, an honor to be with you. If you're looking for a voice of reason, a voice of freedom and liberty, Sometimes in the darkness of a Muslim world that is overshadowed by an establishment of theocrats, you've come to the place that I think you'll at least hear some some of the substance that you've been looking for. Muslim that believes it's my role, it's my responsibility, as it is for every honest Muslim to take on the theocrats. That our legacy will be one of theocracy if we do not take on the reality of ideology that dominates most mosques, that dominates most Islamic-majority countries, and that ultimately until we pass through an enlightenment, until we pass through a separation of mosque and state, the theocrats will continue to produce terrorists, will continue to produce radicals, and will continue to produce autocratic, monarchical, theocratic, sharia-based supremacist countries. Before I get into the latest on the battlefronts of reform, I want to step back for a second here at Blaze TV and the Podcast Network and tell you, I just felt I couldn't start the program today without acknowledging the unbelievable loss of Doc Thompson to the team. I unfortunately never had the blessings, the honor to meet Doc Thompson, but he's well known to the Blaze team team. Close to Glenn Beck, filled in for him frequently on his programs. And the producer of this show, Chris Cruz, I've read uh, a lot of his writings this week about what Doc meant to him. And I've listened to Doc many times, unbelievably compassionate, brilliant, genuine, and hilarious voice at Blaze TV and Blaze Radio podcasts. Then he went on as an entrepreneur to develop his own show even further and had an impact on so many lives. I look at myself, 51, and I see, I hear about the loss the Blaze team suffered with Doc's death and especially his wife and kids. And you think how fragile our lives are, how quickly we could lose what we have and who we are and what we leave behind. So, ladies and gentlemen, cherish every moment you have with your family, with your loved ones, with your community, with your country, because you never know when that time is up. Blessings to everybody and his family. Your prayers, may they be heard. We'll pray for you. Please reach out. Help them out. There's a GoFundMe account uh, for uh, Doc Thompson's family. And thanks, Chris, for all that you do for the program and for producing this program and all that you do at Blaze. Podcasts. God bless. Well, you know, this week's State of the Union had so much meat in it. I don't want to waste too much time on the politics, but other than to tell you that I I couldn't help but reflect the theme to me that resonated not only in the not only in the in the speech itself, but you talk about the state of the union. We are a union. We we come together. To unite, to avoid rancor, and there are times when we'll debate, but then we make a decision and move forward. That's why it's a union. We unite. We're United States. There were things throughout the speech that everyone in the chamber stood up and applauded the heroes from World War II, uh, the survivor of 12 shots from the Tree of Life Synagogue, from the white supremacists that shot into their synagogue because of his virulent anti-Semitism, that everyone stood up and recognized that that will not happen in our country. The other heroes that President Trump recognized, and are always recognized in States of the Union, but remind us that there is a greater good for our country, that we must come together, and in that greater good we achieve so much more, and we can defeat evil in the world when we do that, and evil that may crop up from within. And I have to tell you that we could talk about all the political issues, but from this program's perspective, from my perspective as an anti-Islamist, I look at the pathologies that some of the immigrant communities have, that most specifically that I can tell you my own personal experience as an Arab-American or Muslim-American. We always try to hyphenate our communities, and no, at the end of the day, the right answer is not to hyphenate it. We are Americans. But the subtext to that answer is that sometimes the hyphenation makes sense, because that's what makes America so great, is the diversity of the people that make this country who it is, what it is, where it is, when it is, is all related to the diversity of the cultures, of the ideas, of the music and art and foods and and national motherlands that we come to to become first and foremost American. So I couldn't help but reflect on, we can talk about how regular old America is having a problem with community lately and dividing itself and we can talk about the impact of social media and doing that and creating a larger canyon between the two sides if not more sides and that we're throwing you know uh, metaphorical bombs at each other rather than actual simple educated reason discourse that's a whole other issue i want to talk to you about what about immigrant community specifically what about the arabic community and muslim community that immigrate here I think some, somewhere over 50% of the Arab-American community has been here since 1982. And certainly the Muslim community, there are many that have been here many, many generations, especially in the African-American Muslim community. But there are also a significant plurality, if not a majority, that are in their first and second generations. And when we talk about community, I would tell you that What does that mean? To you, whether you're Muslim or not, community starts with family. Our most important community is our nuclear family. And then our removed family, cousins and aunts and second and third generations. And then our towns, our neighborhoods, our communities locally, and then our states. But then we each develop our cliques and our faith-based communities, our organizational communities, our professional communities. But it's amazing, you know, I couldn't help but be struck that part of the reform that people go through when they become westernized, whatever that means, we can talk about whether westernized means abandoning tribalism, uh, becoming a believer in individual rights, but I have to say as I watched the State of the Union and thought about some of the pathologies plaguing American politics and the divisiveness and rancor of the agenda, I thought about the things I'm trying to reform. And I couldn't help but, re- but think to the bottom line, which is that community is most healthy when they share values. When we think about, as parents, if you're a parent, you think about who you want your kids hanging around, so many that have one foot in Pakistan and one foot here, one foot in Syria, one foot here, they talk about, well, our Syrian val our Muslim values are not to do X, Y, and Z, while the Americans do this. Our Arabic values, our Pakistani values that we do back home are this, while well, we don't do that what the Americans do. That is, that is one of the problems, is that I think one of the primary plagues of developing true unity, true community, is that we don't really understand what is the underpinnings, the foundations of communities we love. We may have passion for our food and our music and our culture and our ethnicities that we share, But at the end of the day, we feel most comfortable when we leave our children with other children that share their values of honesty, integrity, of trust, of humility. Those are the values, call them Jewish, Judeo-Christian values, call them Islamic values, call them Hindu, Buddhist values, call them your own secular values of honesty, and being true to who you are, whatever you may say they are, I would a hundred times over others, other values, much rather have my kids and much rather myself hang around people that are (laughs) humble and honest and have integrity rather than simply hang around Muslims that pray five times a day and wear a hijab and then lie and then deceitful and be weak and lack integrity. So, this is the problem, is that immigrant communities often bring with them a tribalism that identifies certain values, some may be good, some may not be, but they identify it as a faith identity, rather than for the true value description of what it is. It is not just an Islamic value not to lie. It is not just an Islamic value not to steal and not to stab somebody in the back and talk behind them. These are human values for those who are righteous and those who are honest and those who have integrity. So when you build a community, as de Tocqueville talks about in Democracy in America, America succeeds without dictatorship because it is a country based in values. It is a country under God. Countries without religion need dictatorships because ultimately it will become Darwinian and will need the military to prevent stealing and thievery and other things, and terrorism. But if they have God and they fear God and they believe in God, then they don't need military. They can have a celebration of protection of individual rights with a bill of rights to protect free speech, to protect freedom of religion or no religion, and freedom of assembly. You do not need military control if you have a society that is based in values and based in honor of the other human being equally under God, no matter what they believe, no matter where they're from, no matter what their skin color or their belief and identity, diverse identity is. So, I think this is the point. When you talk about reform to Muslims, yes, we're fighting Islamism, but the roots, the roots, the deepest roots that get the oxygen and the water from deep inside the soil of the pathology of political Islam is this community that is rooted in not only theocracy, but at the root of theocracy is a corruption of a respect for other human beings, a corruption of a respect for choice, for the freedom to choose your faith or not, to choose which tenets of Islam you will respect and practice and which ones you don't. Do you believe laws should be spread in reason or not? So, I think this is the part of, we talked last week about assimilation, this is the part of becoming American that so many of our children and our children's children seem to miss sometimes, and as Ronald Reagan, we celebrated Ronald Reagan's 108th birthday this week, if he were alive, and we always do that at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, because... Ronald Reagan has so many great quotes, but there's one that we always want to remember, which is every generation is one generation away from losing its freedom. One generation away. And we see that now as people are talking about. You heard the greatest quote from the State of the Union this week was, America will never be a socialist country. It's talking to you Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, talking to you, Rashida Tlaib, talking to you, Ilhan Omar, talking to you, Senator Bernie Sanders, America will never be a socialist country. So collectivism, whether economic collectivism of socialism or religious collectivism of Islamism, is not compatible with a successful nation, is not compatible with any forms of freedom, is not compatible with human rights. The Venezuelans are learning that with Maduro, his socialism did not work and is failing miserably. And Guaido should be and is the rightful president now of Venezuela. And we see this 70% of the world living under tyranny, basically including Russia, China, and the Islamic countries. The rest in the West are democracies. So, what is community? We need, I don't believe you can start to get to the details of Sharia and reform those details. And yes, they're, some are much bigger than details. They are calling for the killing of apostates, calling for the, the torture of women, the forcible Wearing of hijab, the severing of limbs for those who steal, the uh, degradation of women in courts where they get a quarter or a half of the vote, or the half of the quarter of the of the uh, I'm sorry, a quarter of the inheritance of their brothers. On and on, the, the list of human rights abuses of vulnerable minorities and others is never ending and people want to just wrap their arms around small reforms in Saudi Arabia that they had wrestling there, so therefore it must be reforming, or they're building a half a trillion dollar new sprawling city, so it must be modernizing. I'm sorry, but you can't begin to actually respect human rights and individual rights unless you begin to build community based in reason, honesty, humility, and common values. And those common values begin at respect for the other individual equally like you do your own. Islamists can never do that. Nationalists that are fascists, like the dictators and Arab tyrants across the Middle East, can never do that. So whatever form of fascism, be a theocratic fascism of Islamism, political Islam, or the Arabist fascism of Historical Jamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt in the 50s and 60s, or today's or then Hafez Assad and now today's Bashar Assad, or Saddam Hussein, who thankfully is gone, or today's King of Saudi Arabia, whatever form of monarchical, autocratic fascism, or theocratic fascism. The bottom line is, is you cannot foster reforms in that kind of environment. So I was struck. I was struck as I watched the State of the Union that unity is based on trusting our neighbors, trusting the communities that share our values. And this is why I'm an American. I'm an American because when I went to sail on my ship on the USS El Paso, I could trust my fellow soldiers, my fellow naval sailors. They were of all faiths. Deck officer was Jewish. Supply officer was Mormon. My XO was Protestant. My CO was Catholic. And almost every faith was represented. Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh. So many other faiths. And our founding fathers set up a recipe that included a constitution that prevented the establishment of religion. Obviously they were all of some forms of Christianity, from the deists to the devoted biblical Christians. But at the end of the day, they did not put the word Christian in the founding documents because they realized that this country was under God, and the government should not be getting into the business of worship and what type of worship and what label that worship should be, and that they thought that would cause divis- divisiveness and prevent unity, and prevent unity under the rubric of respecting individual rights and individual opinions. We've had great leaders from our founding fathers to Ronald Reagan. And are we one generation away from losing our freedom? We might be to see the celebration now with millions of followers of AOC, Alexandria Cortez, and to see the election of radicals, radical Islamists like Ilhan Omar, who says things that you just would never imagine coming out of the mouth of an American congresswoman, where 600,000 constituents seem to have a majority of whom voted for her. And she says things where she can't even recognize Israel as a democracy. She compared it to Iran and Saudi Arabia. And even when she tries to provide lip service, it is apparently anathema to her beliefs to recognize Israel as an equal democracy to the West, which shows her anti-Semitism. And now her first move as a congresswoman is to her first move is to want to penalize the athletic industry for any inequality for transgender participants. And I'm not going to try to settle that debate here. I have, as you know, been a staunch defender of gay rights, transgender rights, and others that are oppressed by theocrats in the Muslim world, that are murdered and slaughtered in Iran by ISIS, by by, uh, uh, Khomeinists and, and other militants. But in a free society, when we're talking about this, there's a reality of some of the physiology and other things that need to be discussed. And I think it's amazing how when she puts forth Ilhan Omar... An Islamist who has been silent on Iran, silent on, on uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, on even when she's asked to talk about ISIS and Al Qaeda, she said, "Why do people emphasize Al Qaeda? But when they say England or United States, they say it's soft. That kind of weird. What does that mean? She's trying to make an equivalency between radical terror groups and Western countries. Find the video; it's out there. She just said this at the New America Foundation." When she was being interviewed. It's just bizarre. This is somebody who obviously hates America. And yet she got elected to Congress. So these examples of individuals that somehow hate America and yet are elected. It's because we're losing our identity of who we are. And I as a Muslim, I'm going to continue to focus on the bizarre comments of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and other Muslim leaders, de facto leaders of our community, where many may say that, well, these are good examples of the diversity of America, and I would tell you, whoever sentenced us to have them become the standard bearers of we as American Muslims? Whoever did that? When did I become sentenced to have Ilhan Omar represent me as an American Muslim? I guess she's not from my district, so she doesn't necessarily represent me. But when the media continues to push her up as a great Muslim example and continues to have a bigotry of low expectations where just unbelievably heinous things she says about Israel, about Jews, about American interests, and, and, and how her she minimizes radicalization of Muslims and jihadism, that makes it seem that all Muslims are as idiotic and asinine. She was going to her first hearing and I don't know how the heck she got put on the Foreign Affairs Committee, going to the first hearing it was called about the in the Arabian Peninsula, the Persian Gulf. And look at what she wrote. She wrote, uh, used phrases that are about a geography that doesn't exist. I mean, it's just breathtaking, the idiocy and lack of knowledge of a region that she supposedly now is an expert in. Why? Because she becomes the de facto only Muslim on the committee. But I have to tell you, it all goes back to the American Muslims that are silent. We need to develop a new community. As long as we are silent and we're not developing a community of leaders that are honest, that have integrity, that are American that understand what American means, that we are united under not only under a flag, but a flag that celebrates individual strength, that celebrates a rejection of authority that is corrupt, authority that is theocratic, authority that doesn't share in the universal human rights declaration and values. That's what the community of being American is, the American dream. What is the American dream? It is those who believe that anyone can strive to achieve the successes of free markets and a meritocracy. That's my community, and I think that's what unites us in the United States. And I think that special sauce that is part of the United States, that is part of what makes our union strong, is what can push back against Islamism and is the beginning of empowering Muslims to be able to question authority, to be able to question theocrats. And until we do that, we will not be able to reform our faith. So, Every day, every time you talk to Muslims, I think, uh, I hope and pray that you begin to look at identity, American identity, your communities. Is your community local, national, the community that you identify with, your clique of friends, do they share your values, your morals? Is that it? And do do the Muslims you know describe those as Islamic values? They can, sure. But do they describe them also as American values? Or do they describe American values in the negative and wanting to make them more Islamic? Or are we trying to take our Islamic values and make them more American? So, to me, the latter is more important. There are so many things that are much better, much purer, much more honest as American values, as Western values, than Islamic ones now. That may be heresy for most Muslims, or many Muslims, but I would tell them to be honest with themselves. Where are we at today in Islamic values? Why is it that countries that are Muslim-majority are often almost uniformly corrupt places that I would never want to live? I think it's because we need to reform. And part of that primary steps of reform will include not just having the toe-to-toe debates with the imams and the clerics, But it will be first cleaning our own house on morality, on courage, on honesty. Even things as simple as when a Muslim says, oh, can you come to the event next week? And they say, oh, inshallah, inshallah means God willing. But it also is a way in the Arabic culture to not be committed, not to commit, and then later say, oh, I couldn't make it instead of committing and being a person of your word. We as a community, are we profoundly materialistic? Or are we working on legacy and leaving behind charity that's generational? Or as we say in Arabic, Sadaqa jariya So, you know, the the amazing thing to me is that you look across, even in Mecca itself, the materialistic hedonism that is destroying historical landmarks of our faith through gold-plated this and that, and clocks and structures. Yeah, you know, in my belief, is un-Islamic, and yet you go to Jerusalem, and it's left, in its in its most archaeological, truest, original sense, and not. destroyed through ornamentation. Why? Because the West, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, has reformed away from materialistic tribalism and and flaunting nonsense, but rather focusing on meaning and legacy. And legacies in tradition, legacies in history, and abandoning some of these values that are really not from God. So the protection of every individual life, the protection of every speech, whether it's offensive or not, the protection of the choice to leave or enter a faith, the protection of somebody's personal individuality, be it their sexual choice, their whatever it might be, no matter how much offense I might take, it is theirs to make. As long as it's not being forced upon me. These are things that I believe, are important to the communities I form. So when I start to have, make close friends, and when my kids do, to us, community is about building those relationships that you can trust, that they will come through for you when it counts. So as we build community, as we build a community of reform and a legacy of reform, I think it's so important to keep these things in mind. That's why we're so weak. That's why America is only one generation from losing its freedom, because we are allowing the politics of division to make us forget more and more what it is to be American. And I'm telling you as a Muslim, we need you. We need you to remind us that the American unity under morality, under God, is what will defeat Islamism. And I can tell you that a celebration of core values is the only powerful way to defeat theocracy. Our founding fathers did it, and we can do it here. Last, I wanted to talk to you. Stories coming out this week in CNN about Saudi Arabia and its coalition partners transferring American-made weapons to Al-Qaeda-linked fighters. Hardline Salafi militias, and other factions waging war in Yemen in violation of the agreements with the United States the CNN investigation found the weapons were found to have made their way into the hands of Iranian-backed rebels the Houthis battling for the coalition control of the country exposing some of America's sensitive military technology to Tehran and potentially endangering the lives of U.S. troops in other conflict zones Saudi Arabia, the UAE the Emirates, the main partners in the war with the U.S., have used the U.S.-manufactured weapons as a form of currency to buy loyalties of militias or tribes, bolster chosen armed actors, and influence the complex political landscape. And the story goes on. It's good reporting. Hopefully it's true. Sorry it's true. But I'm saying if the story's out there, and so far it appears to be fact-checked, And I'm glad they're outing this. The Saudis, as I said repeatedly, were were never supporting the right folks in Syria. They're the ones that radicalized, along with Turkey and Qatar, most of the rebellion in Syria to go from being a secular, diverse rebellion in 2011 to being a radical Islamist combination of Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda-like groups, or al Nusra, etc. So this is not surprising, let alone... Their carelessness in the way they distribute weapons in tribal governmentless areas like Yemen is also not surprising. But I bring this up to you now. Where was this reporting when we were complaining about this during the Obama administration? Where we saw ISIS growing in northern Iraq through the Obama administration and they were using American weapons? Where it took. Months and months until a a surge, a second surge was done because we were losing American weapons that were being transferred from folks we had given them to to protect in Iraq to radical al-Qaeda-type ISIS groups. Where was this reporting on Syria and the Saudi-Qatari connection? Oh, I'm sorry, at that point, that was in the time when Qatar and Saudi Arabia were respected lobbies in Washington versus now... They are persona non grata. I mean, please, the, the hypocrisy is breathtaking in the media where now all of a sudden the Islamists, the Brotherhood, and the Qataris in Washington and this axis along with the Washington Post, especially on CNN, you saw this with the Jamal Khashoggi assassination and their reporting, their fake reporting on it, the lobbyists' reporting. And listen, again, I'm not apologizing for an assassination, but keep things in perspective, ladies and gentlemen. We had an administration that was handing hundreds of billions of dollars to Iran, and nobody reported about the fueling of terrorism in the region that that was doing. And now we see some arms going from Saudi Arabia into the hands of some rebels that may not be on our side and also Al-Qaeda and that somehow is all of a sudden a surprise and becomes the rule rather than the exception. And again, I'm no fan of handing the Saudis anything. But we need to be proportional and not have these equivalencies where we equate the Saudis, and forget about the Iranians, and we forget about Assad. Again, I mean, we saw this again this week with Tulsi Gabbard. Van Jones's interview with Tulsi Gabbard was just breathtakingly idiotic. He said, you may disagree with her, you may disagree with her foreign policy, but she's just a trendsetter. She's a Hindu-American that is really an independent thinker. Seriously, this is not just about foreign policy, quote unquote. She's su- she's supporting a genocidal, fascistic tyrant in Syria, and just last week on NBC said that we should. He's not an enemy of the United States. Bashar Assad, said she said is not an enemy of the United States. Really, completely owned and operated by Iran, which fuels the biggest terror terror distributor in the world with Hezbollah and threats on the region and and wanting to wipe Israel off the map. Assad now is a friend of the United States. And Van Jones is calling her a trendsetter. He may disagree with her foreign policy. I mean, come on. Tell me, folks. How am I supposed, how are we supposed to, as Muslims that love America, love our freedom, supposed to get any oxygen when one side uses, you know, you have the, the political arm of the left using foreign policy as a wedge issue wherever possible, regardless of the rationality of it. And then you have the Islamists that, that that are rising to influence that want to destroy our voices. And then you have everybody else obsessed with the political divisiveness, ignoring the need to platform real reformers and believers in Western ideals. But we'll keep plugging away here at reform this i will never give up as long as i'm breathing i always thank you for tuning in this is my release this is my community that i'm trying to build so please share this podcast tell your friends about blaze theblaze.com backslash podcast find us on soundcloud find us on itunes we are always here i will be here every week to share Whatever little wisdom I might have, thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week. This is Zudi Jasser and Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.